Dialectical Behavior Therapy was created in the 1980s by Marsha Linehan in Seattle, Washington. Today, DBT is taught all over the world. We're two therapists who believe everyone can benefit from DBT skills. I'm Kate. I'm Michelle. And And this this is is DBT and Me. Hello, everyone. Hi, guys. Let's see. I think today's, today's, uh, tonight's, this afternoon's, whatever time of day it is where you are. I don't know why. Every time I mention time on the podcast, Michelle, I always get up in my head about, wait, but people listen at all sorts of different times (laughs) of day. (laughs) Do not know why. Uh, Anyway, I'm really excited about today's topic because I feel like, especially in the Facebook group, there have been a lot of different Q&A type questions or community questions. Like, this isn't based on one thing, but I'd say broadly the topic comes up mm-hmm. understandably often. Yes, very um, often. <laughs> so I'm, I'm glad that we're finally addressing it. But before we launch in, I want to do the, well, I still feel awkward about doing the awesome self-promotion at the beginning and it's just that the beginning is still awkward i'm sure i'll get into the groove after a few more times practicing it (laughs) uh so first and foremost or no particular order i suppose uh patreon patreon.com slash dbt and me we deeply appreciate um everybody's support it really helps the podcast keep going uh same thing for the etsy shop so just go to etsy search for dbt and me uh we definitely always appreciate any rating and reviews on apple podcasts or anywhere else that you're listening to us now and check out the couch in the chair which is our other podcast hear us talk about things that aren't dbt not that we don't (laughs) love dbt but there is more to the world of psychology and we delve into much more of it (laughs) in the couch in the chair but After doing that little teaser, I will say that today's episode is all about DBT and dating. Yes. Um, So we'll introduce them as we go, but we've broadly sort of broken it up into different stages of dating. Uh, And yeah, we try to find skills that can be applicable to each of them. So with that, Michelle, I'm going to just hand it off to you. Yeah. So like you said, we're basically going to talk through the different stages of dating. But the very first thing when it comes to dating is that getting to know you stage or like going on a first date. So this can encompass so many things. The getting to know you might happen in real life or it might happen virtually through an app or a dating website or whatever the different platform might be. (laughs) But we get questions a lot from people just about, you know, how do I meet people who could be a good match for me? How do I get the ball rolling? When or if do I disclose if I have a mental health diagnosis or that kind of a thing? I think there's just a whole lot that comes up around this first step of dating, which is actually meeting people and getting to go on a first date. (laughs) Um, that can be really hard and take a lot of time. Absolutely. Yeah. Meeting them and, and on the first couple of dates, I think like a lot of these skills are applicable even in those first, you don't know, two or three dates that you might go on with someone when you're still really feeling it out. (laughs) Like, like, is there even anything here at all? Yes, exactly. (laughs) That's what this first stage is all about. So we're going to talk about four different DBT skills that we think can be helpful when you find yourself in this spot. The first thing, which we have said 
many times is that when it comes to using give from the interpersonal effectiveness module, give is a really great go-to skill, whether it's for romantic relationships or platonic relationships or you know work relationships, anytime that you're getting to know anybody for any reason, using give can really help build rapport and help get that connection going with the other person. So just as a refresher, it stands for being gentle, acting interested, validating, and using an easy manner. So when you're doing those four things with somebody, the hope is that you are going to be showing this other person basically what the eyes is, right? That that you're that you're interested and you care about what they have to say and that you're going to create space for them to share and that's an attractive thing. And I don't just mean like romantically, sexually attractive. Like I mean it more broadly. <laughs> like that that's just a thing that most people are going to like and want to gravitate towards when you are being that way with them. They're going to be like, hey, I really felt good when I was talking with that person. I'm going to want to talk to them more. And so this is a really good way to get to also know information about people because yeah, if you're acting interested and you're validating what they're saying, that's gonna hopefully keep conversation flowing. So using give is just a great way to help somebody open up to you. And then hopefully again, they'll like appreciate that experience that they had of talking with you and they'll want more of it. <laughs> that's the hope. Yeah, it's kind of magnetic a yes. little bit, right? Yeah, it is. I don't think yeah. I've ever had it where even if somebody hasn't been doing it thinking of give from dbt like whenever i've had that experience with someone when they've been gentle interested validating and yeah using an easy manner as dbt puts it when they've just like really been authentically themselves oh yeah it feels so good and afterwards i'm like oh yeah mm -hmm. that person's great <laughs> because they did this with me even if they weren't intending to use a dbt skill it feels really great to be on the receiving end of absolutely <laughs> uh so the next skill is one i don't know we can perhaps say ideally you may not have to use uh but uh there's a lot of different situations i would think of in well back up the skill is stop there we go uh <laughs> But I don't know. I think we often think of stop as being a skill that shows up in like contentious situations or because of some, you know, like the sort of, I don't know, uh, not necessarily aggressive, but like there has to be some sort of conflict. Right. And like step is stop is a way of like getting out of what's coming up for you in that sort of interpersonal conflict space. But there's also so many different reasons that we might become emotionally kind of overwhelmed, right? Uh, in that initial process, be that because of anxiety, you know, maybe someone says something where they inadvertently trip and fall headfirst into one of our triggers you know, mm -hmm. through no fault of their own, right? There can be all sorts of things that can go on in those early stages of dating where it might be a good idea to stop, right? Take a step back you know, breathe a little, have some mindfulness, um, and then, you know, proceed as you want to when you're more, I don't know, 
resettled, right? A little bit more in control of yourself, a little bit more in your wise mind than in your emotion mind, right? And then you can re-engage with the situation, ideally more effectively, more comfortably, uh, and more successfully, right? So that's what I think of with stop. I do think there can be this perception that, well, if that person's a good, nice person, then I shouldn't ever need to use this, right? Like, nah, stuff can come up anyway, <laughs> right? There's a lot of different... A lot of different things that can cause us to get, you know, flooded. And it doesn't necessarily have to be anything intentionally done by anybody else, anything maliciously done by anybody else. Some shit's just hard. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you need a breather. Yeah, totally. And it can, it's really great that you're talking about how stop is not just used when things are already going badly. Like, okay, I'm in the thick of it. Now I have to stop to reset. That's how, yeah, we stereotypically think about it. But I think it could be really great to use stop the moment that you sense, hey, (laughs) I may be not showing up in the way that I want to. Or, you know, you could have tons of outside stressors. And then you're going on this date with someone and you're realizing from the beginning, this person hasn't done anything. (laughs) But from the beginning, you're like, my mind is really elsewhere. I'm feeling distracted, you know, or whatever it is. I'm still feeling frustrated about this thing from earlier in my day. And it's impacting how I how I am here on this date. Yep. Let me you stop before I'm... Things get really bad. Yeah, before things get really bad. And I'm feeling my emotions at like an 8, 9, or 10. And then I'm super flooded. I want to use stop when I'm at like a 2, 3, or 4 so that I can reset very early that stop can be great for that absolutely okay next yes i am (laughs) so the next skill we thought about was opposite action and really specifically probably opposite action for fear anxiety worry overwhelm that family of emotions (laughs) because that's so common when we're getting to know people um, either in like a group setting, like if you're going to, I don't know, some kind of social event and meeting people there or going on a one-on-one first date with someone, it's so common and normal and natural to be anxious. <laughs> but a lot of times, right, what does fear, anxiety, like what what does it tell us to do? It tells us to fight or freeze yeah (laughs) and ideally we don't want to do any of those things when it comes to dating we want it to be that even if the situation is invoking fear within you that you have a way to remind yourself this is not actually scary this is not actually bad i'm not actually in any emotional or physical danger i can do this and Go with it, even if I'm really nervous and really scared. So opposite action is a great skill to use to basically, as Kate says it sometimes, Nike it, right? Just do it. (laughs) Um, Especially, I think of this too as like, um, because we were just talking about stop. So if you're using stop and then you're able to, while you're using stop, really get into your wise mind Um, to incorporate that in here and think to yourself, okay, is this date actually going badly? Is this person actually sending me red flags? Like, do I really need to leave? No, probably not. We hope anyways. 
No. So you're kind of, you're also doing a little bit of check the facts. Check the facts. Well. I was going to say that. <laughs> you're doing all of the DBT skills and then it's going to result in perhaps you choosing opposite action and deciding to stay. And the biggest opposite action for fear is to approach the thing that you are afraid of. As long as it's not actually going to harm you physically, emotionally, psychologically to approach rather than to avoid, which is what the fear is going to tell you to do. So we know that on first dates, you're probably going to need a good dose of opposite action so that you're able to work through your nerves that you're probably going to feel and hopefully have the date go well so that you can enjoy yourself. That's what we hope for. Um, <laughs> but it's going to take some opposite action to to get there more than likely rather than giving in to what the anxiety is telling you to do, which is like, I just might not even show up. Well, we want you to show up and opposite action is how you do that. Yep. Yeah. And yeah, keep showing up. Right. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Right. Like not, not try and duck out early, try and not be so hesitant, hemming, hawing, not sharing, you know, like really this idea of approaching again and again and again, I think sometimes throughout a date, depending on how much someone's, how high someone's anxiety is. Yeah, there's like <laughs> all the way opposite action, I think, in talks about. Yep. So, yeah, that's what, that's what you're getting at um, there very nicely. Yep, and keep doing it, right? Mm-hmm. The uh, turning the mind or whatever. That's what's, no, that's with willfulness. Never mind. The, <laughs> We're just throwing out idea, all the though. DBT skills that aren't all in our notes them. at all. You're going to do all we'll of try these and, things. How many can we name in one night? Uh, <laughs> well, to throw another one on the pile, the last one for this segment. Um, and honestly, it's almost been a part of the other ones, sneakily, as it usually is with most DBT skills. But is mindfulness, right? Um, in a number of different ways, right? One of the, you know, a lot of this has been talking about the anxiety that people often get uh, on first dates or early dating. And anxiety does such an amazing job of taking us out of the present, right? It, we're worried about how this is going to go, how this is going to end. When is it going to end? What are they going to say next? What about tomorrow? What if they don't call it, right? We future trip like crazy people, right? Like just like to no end. Or sometimes maybe what if this goes like my last person? What if, right? Like we can be doing some past stuff too, right? But there's a lot that's happening that can take us out of the present. Um, And so one of the main things I think about for using mindfulness in this context is to stay here. (laughs) Stay here. Don't worry about how this is going to turn out in, you know, 24 hours or 24 years. Right. Don't necessarily be remembering your past ex and how fucked up that person was. Right. Try and be here. Right. With this person in this moment, right? Um, And that's going to make the experience so much more rich, right? So much um, more nuanced and impactful. You're going to have a better chance of actually knowing who that person is if you're actually paying attention and you're present while you're interacting with them. Um, It'll all often help to, you know, calm or center or soothe or ground us a little bit um, because we're not, you know, flipping all over the place between our anxieties, um, right. We can sort of stay on one channel a little bit better. Um, and with a lot of that, like non-judgmental, not clinging to things, like just letting whatever happens happen and being there for it. Right. Um, it's going to improve the experience 
and make the experience more helpful. Even if it ends up not being a good experience, it's still a good idea. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Because, you know, you were there for that experience and you were seeing it pretty clear-sightedly instead of like, well, was that actually a bad experience or was I just up in my head the whole time? Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, mindfulness. Mm-hmm. One thing that I, because this is work that I do a lot with clients, I yeah. focus in with people a lot on relationship issues and challenges that come with dating and being in relationships and all of that. And one of the things that I tell people a lot when it comes to going on first dates is people go in a lot with a checklist in their head. They're evaluating the person they're on the date with. Do they check this box? Do they have this quality? So they're asking questions, hoping for certain answers because they already Mm. have criteria in their head of what they're looking for from a potential partner. This is super normal. But what I tell people a lot is focus less on the, especially, right, this is your first date. You'll have time to get to know all of this stuff about the person. But on the first date, rather than focusing on well, how old are they and what do they do for work and what's their level of education and blah, 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 and all of that stuff. I want you to focus on how you feel when you're with them. What's your inner experience? Yep, what are what are your emotions? How does it feel to just sit with this person or how does it feel to just talk with this person? Are you laughing and enjoying yourself? And yeah, not thinking about the clock? <laughs> or are you constantly like, when is this going to be done? <laughs> sort of a thing. How do you (laughs) feel with them more than Mm -hmm. about do they check these boxes that are the things that I think I need in a partner? And mindfulness is a fantastic way to do that, to be able to make sure that you're Mm -hmm. checking in with yourself and noticing how you actually are feeling on the date. Because I'll ask people that sometimes afterwards. I'm like, so how did you feel while you were on the date? And they were just kind of like, oh, well, like, yeah, it, it felt good. And then they'll go on to talk about the other person. And again, like the things that they saw that they liked. And I'm like, but but let's let's bring it back to you. Like, you're not actually talking about your experience because a lot of times people aren't tuned into it. Yeah. Um, and that can really come from a lot of anxiety, like we've already been talking yep. about. Or again, this focus on yeah the outcome i want to know before we've even really started the date if i'm going to be going on a second date with this person yeah why don't you just be present try to enjoy yourself no matter what you're doing and then decide when the date's done (laughs) rather than halfway through (laughs) okay on to the next part i believe yeah okay on to the next part Great. Okay, so we're going to say that you've gone on a date or two or three with somebody. And let's say things are hopefully going well. And so the the next stage that people really encounter with dating is making that decision of whether or not to become serious with this person, whether or not to become exclusive, whether to keep dating, And just you reach that fork in the road where it's like, okay, either we're both going to be in this and we're choosing each other or one or both of us are going to be like, "Eh, I don't think you're really for me and go separate ways. But being at that fork in the road can be a really uncomfortable, difficult place to be when you're trying to decide what to do next. So the things that we typically see around this sometimes is that people are like, you know, I've been going on dates with this person. 
and I really like them. It seems to be going well, but yeah, I'm worrying about X, Y, and Z. <laughs> what about this thing? What about that thing, right? The future tripping, like we've already touched on. Or um, people get really worried that the person that they've been going on dates with, even if it's going well, that, you know, what if that person doesn't want to be as serious as I want to be? Like, I'm ready to be exclusive, but what if they're not? There can just be a lot of uncertainty here. And so we want to talk about uh, three skills for this section for what may be able to help when you find yourself in that in that spot, that dilemma. <laughs> uh, the first thing I thought about was pros and cons, which we say this sometimes about pros and cons. You know, it was designed for problem behaviors. <laughs> yes, we do not always use it as intended. <laughs> we, we allow some wiggle room there for what it can be used for. So, yes. You know, DBT pros and cons, the way that this could look when you're in this position is looking at, okay, what are the pros of continuing to date this person? What are the cons of continuing to date this person? What are the pros of not dating them? What are the cons of not dating them? And to make that two by two grid and fill in the blanks. Kind of like what I was actually just talking about when... um Kate was mentioning mindfulness and I was tacking on how I really bring that in it with the clients that I work with here as well. It can be really easy to think criteria. It can be really easy to think, well, a pro of dating this person is that they, I don't know, I'm trying to think of an example off the top of my head. I don't know. They have a stable job. Okay. Like that's not, that's not a bad pro that's not that's not wrong that's an attractive quality but also like when it comes to the two of you together not just them as an individual not just the pros and cons of this individual but the two of you together what are the pros that you see for when you've spent time with them so like a pro might be which i kind of touched on this already too as an example like they make me laugh there we go you know we have a lot of shared interests we have similar values, right? These could be potential pros. So really thinking of the two of you as a unit and what that looks like rather than just, these are the things I like about this person. These are the things I don't like about this person. You can certainly think about potential areas of conflict, right? Like a con might be, uh, well, you know, we have different levels of messiness or that kind of a thing, right? One of us is messy. One of us is really clean. Oh, okay. Like that could be a potential area of conflict. But taking some time to create a pros and cons list, because what I actually really like about the pros and cons skill, I think sometimes, ironically, it can make things tougher to decide. <laughs> like, oh, well, now that I've laid this all out, now I'm even more confused. Like it can sometimes have that outcome. But just to even do the thinking through of these things, even if it doesn't give you an immediate, clear answer of what your next step is, I think can be really helpful. And also, I think a lot of times when people do pros and cons, there's typically one or two things at least that they write down that land with them differently. Like there are a couple of things that you might write down that as you think of them or as you write them down, you recognize that those things pack a little more punch than maybe some of the other things that you've written down. And that's something to pay attention to is again, just kind of noticing 
what comes up for you as you're making your pros and cons lists. Um, that that may give you your answer more rather than what you actually have written down is noticing how it feels for you as you're writing certain things down in the different sections of it. So pros and cons can be yeah. a good place to get your brain juices flowing about this other person. <laughs> well, and I think I like what you're talking about with the, um, like, see what carries more weight. Because I also think about, like, remember that this is your pros and cons yes not societal pros and cons not your parents pros and cons Mm -hmm. not not your best friends pros and cons right this is what matters to you right something that may be an enormous con in my book it matters almost not at all to you right or vice versa so right like michelle is saying paying attention to what stands out for you and honoring that this is for you Right. Mm-hmm. This is based be on what unfiltered. you value. Yep. Be unfiltered and weight it according to your beliefs and values and needs and et cetera, who you are and not. Well, you know, well, my mom always told me never to be with somebody who wasn't making a hundred thousand a year. I don't know. Right. Like, <laughs> right. No, it's your list. <laughs> mm-hmm. Leave them out of it. <laughs> Um, so the next skill, which is funny because I think we ended up talking about this in the first one, first grouping as well, inadvertently, mm-hmm. right? But it's check the facts, right? And this is a similar purpose. Well, I suppose to an extent, all of these have a similar purpose because they're for that same task of determining, right? Whether we keep going with this or not. Um, but check the facts, I think is great because it really tries to peel away the, how do I say, like the layer of pure emotion, right? If you guys have, you know, if anybody listening has listened to enough of the podcast, you know, I think that DBT shits on emotion mind more than is fair. (laughs) I think there's a lot to be garnered from our emotions and honored about our emotions and things like that. But also we don't want them to be the only thing driving the bus, right? That that gets real dangerous real quick. Um, and so check the facts sort of is like, all right, let's 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 keep looking at this, right? Let's look at this emotional response you're having. Does this fit the facts? And remember, right, there's opposite action for love. That's because love can be an emotion that isn't fitting the facts, right? So it, you know, again, I do think check the facts is more commonly used for quote, unquote, negative or unpleasant, you know, emotional states or experiences, but it doesn't have to be used that way, right? This can be like, all right, I feel head over freaking heels for this person. Let me sort of do a run through of this, right? Let me look at all of this stuff, see if this, like, okay, wow, I'm feeling really in love with them, but if I stop and really, really think about that, I don't know fuck all about them. Like, they never talk about themselves. Now that I really think about it, like, this is my, this is my hormones, right? This is, this is some, this is some pheromonal shit, right? Like, <laughs> my body awfully likes their body, but I don't, I don't know if I am as invested in them because I don't know them as well, right? Like, so there's all sorts of interesting information that can come up, whether you're evaluating a you know, stereotypically pleasant emotional experience or a stereotypically unpleasant emotional experience. Check the facts is just a nice place to peel away, you know, that one 
that one layer, which I think is funny because, you know, you're talking a lot about how did you feel after the date? And I'm being like, also, don't only live in emotions, right? I think yes. it's important to to peel them back, look at what's underneath, and then you can put that layer back on and make your decisions, as Michelle will talk about in the next one. But mm -hmm. it's good to have at least lifted them off and checked underneath. Right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, yeah, the car may look pretty on the outside, but you need to check the engine, right? So uh, you can't just flippity floppity hoppity hippity about on on the emotional layer ask someone who knows um i'm waving for those of you at home who cannot see me <laughs> i'm certainly guilty of not having done this in the past let's just say that um and so i know what can happen when your brain finally kicks online six to twelve months later when the pheromones have calmed down enough and the dopamine has dropped and you're like what the fuck am i doing um <laughs> so <laughs> <laughs> let me let me highly recommend um i'm sorry i'll i swear i won't go too far afield michelle but i do i still think it's one of the most hilarious things ever um that like neurochemically falling is lo in love is not particularly different than getting addicted to cocaine mm -hmm. uh so next time you think you're making wise decisions when you're in the process of falling in love uh just ask yourself would i do this while in the midst of a pretty serious cocaine addiction and if the answer is no, don't make that decision right now. It's a bad decision. Don't do that. Uh, I'm not saying never do that. I'm just saying don't do that right now. <laughs> Wait until the drugs have subsided a little and the oxytocin is taken over instead of the dopamine. You're going to make much wiser choices. <laughs> or perhaps you could just use pros and cons and check the facts and some other things to be like, oh, right, there's more to me than the part that, you know, is losing its mind to this chemical addiction in this moment. Um, I'm a whole person. Mm -hmm. I'm not just led by my pheromones, goddammit. <laughs> well, Except for I we mean, really are. But <laughs> Yeah, we, we really are in the beginning. When, when you're falling for someone. It's just how, how it tends to go. But, I mean, dialectically speaking, there there is this dialectic with just about anything where both pros and cons and check the facts can really help us yep. see the other side of the coin, which is that when you're getting to know somebody, when you're going on dates, all of that, there's some things that are probably going really great and really well. And also some things that probably don't feel so great and maybe you're challenging and some bumps in the road. There's probably both. <laughs> and it's just yep. kind of asking you to look at where are, where maybe the bumps in the road? If up until this point, you're like, nothing is wrong. This person is perfect. Well, nobody is. <laughs> so let's just pump the brakes. Yeah. Use some pros and cons. Use some check the facts and just try to be a little more objective to see uh, the other side of that coin that may be harder to look at, but yeah. is important to look at when you're deciding if you're going to become more serious with this person or not. It becomes yep. important. Yeah. The the final skill we're going to talk about for this part, which we've been alluding to a little bit, uh, is wise mind. Use <laughs> your wise mind. Uh, because, yeah, as you were just talking about, Kate, I, I have up until this point been a little bit on the notice what you feel train. But I actually just thought about it in terms of wise mind. That's because I actually have a lot of clients that when they are going on dates in the early stages, they get really into reason mind. 
Really? Oh, yeah. You and I see very different clients. (laughs) They've been very analytical and skeptical, and they are just like, I need to screen this person, (laughs) and I need to try to find all their flaws right away (laughs) so that I don't get hurt down the line. And they, like, put the person through their paces and treat it more like a job interview than a date. Wow. Yes. Oh, man. All my people, I'm like, remember that you're in the middle of new relationship energy. You're not making wise choices right now. Slow your roll. Uh-huh. <laughs> That's my clients. So yeah. we see slightly different people most of the time. <laughs> we do. And it can. It can truly go either yep. way. I, you know, yep, sometimes absolutely. people really try to turn off their emotions because they get scared of falling yeah. for someone. So yeah, they're especially if they have um, you know, some relationship trauma and their past and stuff like that, they go into dates with walls up. <laughs> and then there are other people like you're saying Kate who go in with I mean referencing our boundaries episode from way back when, super porous boundaries, right? Open yep. door. They go on the first date, it goes great and they're like I am all in. <laughs> Yep. (laughs) So it would be important to know which way you lean a little more. And regardless of which way you tend to go, wise mind is going to be your friend. Try to bring in a little more of the other side. So if you are a little more analytical when you're on dates, try to get in touch with your emotions. If you are all emotion mind on dates, try to bring in a little more of the reason mind. So that you are trying to see things ever so slightly objectively instead of just pure subjectivity when you're getting to know somebody and adrift in all of the feelings (laughs) that arise early on most of the time. So being able to tap into your wise mind can be really helpful. I'm going to backtrack ever so slightly because I just thought of this. I mean, we already talked about four different skills for when you're getting to know somebody, but I think actually wise mind could be really helpful too before you go on that first date also, Mm. just to get you a little centered (laughs) and to make sure that you're going in um, just in, you know, it's kind of an overused word with wise mind, but in in a balanced place, right? Being, being mm-hmm. that middle ground with boundaries of not having boundaries that are too rigid or too porous, but having boundaries. Oh, I can't think of it off the top of my head. I think that just flexible. Hel- yeah. Flexible or healthy or something like that. I don't remember, but, but finding the middle place there um, is going to be really important. And wise mind can help you do that. So it can help in the really early stages, but it's also super helpful here, which is why we're talking about it more in this segment when you're at this fork in the road decision making time of a relationship because you want to really make sure you're considering both and you know it's a nice skill to end on for this because doing pros and cons and doing check the facts when you're doing both of those things it's hopefully helping you get into a wise mind well hopefully what i mean to say is that you're using your wise mind while you're doing those things that's that's what i wanted to get at there (laughs) bring your wise mind along when you're doing pros and cons and when you're checking (laughs) sound advice (laughs) um yeah i don't think i have much to add to the wise mind thing i think that'll make sense so i think we're on to our last section arguably the hardest i know the bummer and also I think statistically, 
the most common result (laughs) of of dating relationships is that it doesn't work out, sadly, or maybe gladly, maybe thank goodnessly. I don't know, right? Like there's all all sorts of ways that uh, relationships end, but a lot of them do, right? So these are skills that are helpful when it doesn't work out. Um, And especially uh, if they are the, you know, if the person you're pursuing is the one who ends it with you. So these are helpful with rejection. I think, in fact, I'll admit, Michelle did most of the notes for today. And I think she meant these just to be for if you're rejected or mostly to be with your, if you're rejected. But I think it can go either way. As someone who is also dumped, I am afraid to say, my fair share of people (laughs) over the course of my life. I don't even want to try and think of how many um you still go through a significant portion of similar emotions right whether you go through that after you break up with them or sort of on the lead up to breaking up with them right as you're sort of processing beforehand a lot of similar feelings come up right because it still sucks most of the time i would say when something ends right there's an amount of a sense of loss um that probably scales with how long you were with the person or whatever but um yeah when things don't work out and especially when you're the one getting left um, these are some skills that we think are really useful for that. Uh, unsurprisingly, <laughs> given, I think, just what this is and that it's me doing it, uh, <laughs> the first skill that I think about here is self-soothe, right? Uh, it's, I don't know, just be tender with yourself, right? I think there's a special kind of feeling to being even a little brokenhearted, Right? And, you know, maybe you weren't dating this person for very long. So maybe it is only a little brokenhearted. But that's still its own flavor of emotional experience. And it's still hard. Maybe it's hard for a day because it was a short thing. And so it's a short mourning period, a short loss. Maybe it's weeks and months or even years. Uh, heck, not to put too fine a point on it, but I had a partner that I dated in college who I dated for six years, and I got sad about losing that relationship for every fall for the next 10 years, probably. (laughs) Right? So, you know, whatever the time span, it's still something that, you know, broken hearts need tenderness, right? They need gentleness. They need soft things. (laughs) They need to be treated, you know, given padding, (laughs) right? Helped to be, you know, uh, patched up a little bit and given space to heal in. Uh, And so I absolutely think of of self-soothe first when I think about, especially the pain of being rejected, right? As you were, um, you know, saying in the notes, Michelle, that I don't know. It's just, it doesn't, you know, you can even have been thinking about being done with someone, but there's this feeling to being rejected also that is different than anything else. Um, And... You're going to need some tending to after that. And sometimes we're the only ones there to tend to us. Mm-hmm. Um, right. And so, you know, ideally, I mean, we've talked about self-soothe enough in other episodes. I won't go into it too much. Um, just to say, try and remember uh, the things that have comforted you in the past and turn towards those. Um, right. Hopefully by now, maybe, you know, sort of what your self-soothe go-tos are. Um, and... I know this is, I think, the skill that Michelle is going to talk on, talk on, eh, talk about, 
speak on? I don't know. Whatever. Uh, Next. (laughs) Uh, Goes into more of the thought aspect of this. But I also want to say that self-soothing physically isn't going to be nearly as helpful or productive of a skill if you're shitting on yourself mentally. So try at least to join up that compassion that you're showing your physical body with compassion for yourself mentally and emotionally as well. Um, it might not do nothing to be really nice to your body while you're being a dick to yourself mentally, but it's certainly going to do a whole lot less, right? So, um, not technically a DBT skill in here, but just saying along with the self-soothe, try and pair some self-compassion. Mm-hmm. Um, cause if you're trying to take care of your body while being like, see, I told you no one loved you, right? This is not... Uh, be very limited usefulness, right? So pay attention to your thoughts too <laughs> when you're when you're doing self-soothing. They're impactful. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so don't uh, don't ignore the mental aspect, I guess is what I would say for that. Definitely. What I was just thinking of as you were talking about self-soothing because a lot of times I think of self-soothing as the thing that we need when when we're grieving, no matter yeah. what it is that we're grieving. And if it's helpful, uh, we release, an episode on our other podcast, The Couch and the Chair, about disenfranchised grief. And when a romantic mm. relationship ends, that's definitely, there can be grief that comes with that. And disenfranchised grief is grief specifically that isn't always recognized or honored culturally or by society. And I think when it comes to you know, when you're specifically on the receiving end of a breakup, like when someone ends things with you, a lot of times the messages that we receive are like, well, they weren't good enough anyways. You don't need them. Just get back out there. Or yeah, especially like you were saying, Kate, if the relationship ends pretty early on, a lot of times people won't understand if there's grief that comes with that where they're like, you only went on two dates. Like, what's the big deal? Why are you still talking about this person three months later? That, that kind of thing. You can get just a lot mm-hmm. of messages that your grief is wrong or your grief is bad in some way. And so that's why... Inappropriate. Yeah. yeah. And that's why self-soothing is so important because you need to make sure that you're honoring your grief if nobody else around you is going to understand it or recognize it. You still need to do that for yourself in order to actually yeah. heal from what happened. Uh <laughs> I also realized before I talk about the the things that I'm going to discuss next is that all of what we're talking about here in this part, it's all distress tolerance, which oh. <laughs> makes a lot of sense, I just realized, because, you know, distress tolerance is all about dealing with stress when a lot of times the stressor is something that's outside of your control. If somebody has said to you, hey, I don't think we should keep seeing each other, it's not much what are you, you going to do? do with that. So... That was just something interesting I realized. (laughs) But I'm going to kind of talk about two in one. So Kate just talked about self-soothe. I'm going to talk about accepts and or improve when coping with a romantic relationship ending. It really just depends on what feels most helpful for you and what feels like a better fit. They both have their merits here. Accepts is all about distraction. I think accepts is especially good in the short term. So what I mean by that is let's say you have an evening at home and all you want to do is call them or all you want to do is look at their social media. 
and you're just trying to resist the urge to do that, accepts is going to be your friend to hopefully get you through that evening while you have that urge. So we've talked about this a little bit, I feel like in a Q&A somewhere, but accepts, doing accepts things can be sometimes a good way to ride the wave or urge surf if there's something that you're mm-hmm. really wanting to do. So yeah, if that's what you're struggling with is just, I really, 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 really want to reach out to them, distract yourself. Use accepts. There are seven different things to choose from. Pick and choose and really make sure that you're giving each thing the time that it requires. Don't just do one for five minutes and think that that's going to call it good. Nope. You might need to do it a little bit longer. You might need to do it for 30 minutes. You might need to do it for three hours kind of a thing. We don't want you to be doing accepts all the time, but we hope that it's there for you to help you get through whatever urge you may have related to this breakup that ultimately wouldn't serve you. So accepts can be really good for that. Improve has a different flavor. Like Kate was alluding to, improve is more about how are you thinking about or how are you viewing this stressful situation. So in this case, how are you viewing it um, with this person ending things with you? So the M stands for meaning, right? So what kind of meaning are you perhaps making from this? Um, The E stands for encouragement. What things can you say that might encourage you through this situation? Um, P is for prayer. So if it would be helpful to turn to some kind of higher power, to help you weather this storm as you're dealing with these big emotions around, you know, them turning you down and that kind of a thing. Improve, I view, as maybe being a little more helpful just big picture-wise. So even if you're not having a lot of immediate urges around trying to, you know, connect with this person or ruminating about them and just thinking of them all the time and that kind of a thing, but if you're like, well you know, okay, I'm, I'm coming to terms with the, with the breakup or with things not really working out, but like something just feels like it's kind of lingering for me. Um, improve, I think, can offer some really great options of ways to take care of yourself if something just feels like it's hanging on to help you tap into it on a bit of a deeper level for what you may need. So both can be helpful. Do one, do both, whatever, whatever fits best for you. Kate and I have said this before. She likes accepts more. I like improve more. So whatever <laughs> you like more can just be really helpful in the aftermath of, you know, trying to wrap your head around the fact that things aren't going to be going further with this person. I like that you said wrap your head around because I think that's really the really what my whole next skill is. is um, you get the whammy. Wrapping your head around it, mm. right? And that's radical acceptance, right? This is what this is. And what it is is over, right? Um, it doesn't have to be happy making. It doesn't have to be pretty. It doesn't have to be okay with you. <laughs> But it is what it is. And as much as, you know, we were talking and I think would continue to talk to say, like, yeah, take the time you need to take to grieve. Right. This isn't like a move on now um, kind of thing. But it is a you don't even start the process (laughs) of getting to move on, however long that process is going to take for you. 
You don't even start that process until you accept that it's actually over, right? Until you're like, well, maybe if I do this thing, I can win them back or maybe, right? Like if you're like, you know, I don't know, right? There's all, I, (laughs) again, I've been the one to end more of my relationships, but I know there are a lot of this idea of like, maybe I can get it back some way or another. Maybe I can get this relationship to restart, um, and or you know it's done, quote unquote, but you're still behaving almost like you're in that relationship, right? You're still maybe bugging them or reaching out to them a lot, or maybe you're stalking them on social media a bunch. Maybe you're still really attached, right? you like, intellectually, you understand that the relationship is over, but you're still clinging, right? You're still holding on in some respects to that relationship, Um And not, yeah, starting the process of letting go. Um, And so, yeah, it's the whammy. It's the hard one. It's the, I think Michelle and I consistently believe this is the most difficult skill in all of DBT. So definitely something more easily said than done. But it's the place the healing process starts um, in those cases, right? If this, if, I mean, I guess this also all depends on how hard this is hitting you, right? <laughs> like you, I think almost maybe in order, right? Self-soothe may be enough if it's sort of like a, well, that's a bummer, right? Like at the lowest end, uh, I don't think you'd need anything past self-soothe. Um, you know, if it's more intense, self-soothe. And also maybe I need to keep my brain off of it. I keep going back there too much, right? I need to go through these urges, whatever. And if you just like, nope, right? I can't, I'm fighting reality still in one way or another. Because um, this was a really, really, really big loss. And I don't feel able to accept it, to internalize it, to really be present to it. Um, then, then yeah, I think radical acceptance is, is the key, <laughs> is the place to head. Um, not easy, but good, right? Good and healthy and the path down which potential other relationships lie, down which other forms of happiness lie, right? Like, there's a long, there's a lot of nice things down the radical acceptance road. It's just shit to start, <laughs> Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, I don't know if you have any more to add about radical acceptance. It's always one of those ones that's like big, but not a lot to say, uh, you know, without re-explaining the skill, right? Totally. Like, it's like mm-hmm. this is where you're going to heal. I was thinking, actually, while you were talking about how there might be different things to radically accept with a relationship ending. So sometimes when somebody, again, if we're specifically thinking about being on the receiving end of a breakup, somebody coming to you and saying, I don't see this working out between us. There really are two big umbrella categories for why. Sometimes they say it's because of external circumstances. They might be like, well, this isn't going to work out because I just think we live too far apart, or this isn't going to work out because I'm just too busy with working and going to school or whatever. They have some external circumstances that they cite as the reason for why they don't think this relationship with you could be successful. And it can be so easy to want to deny that. To be like, no, 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 no. We can make it work. We can make it work. I'll, I'll drive to visit you like three times a week. It's okay. You know, or, but, but, but we can see each other on this day. Like, it'll be fine. Like you want to deny the external circumstances. <laughs> or the other side of that is that sometimes, depending on what may be going on or how 
hopefully with kindness, but how honest they might be, they may say it's something about you for why I don't think we're going Mm -hmm. to be compatible. Right. Um, You know, I'm, and a lot of times people don't give a reason. So this would probably only be if you ask, would you find this out? But if you do find out that they're ending things with you because I don't know, maybe they're like, I'm just not super physically attracted to you or I don't really think our values line up in this way or whatever it is. They say it's something about you for why they're ending things. That can also be really hard to accept. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, And sometimes people can do these mental gymnastics of like, okay, okay, then I'll change rather than just being like, okay, that's, that's a thing about me or how the two of us mixed that just didn't work. And I just need to accept that we weren't going to mix very well rather than try to deny who I am to try to fit who I think they're looking for in some way so that the relationship can continue. You might need to do some radical acceptance of, yeah, either external circumstances or just recognizing that, okay, this person is telling me we're not a good fit and I'm going to stop trying to make us fit together. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yep. I like it. Okay, so we're going to wrap up. I think that one went relatively fast, did it? Or am I making shit up? Sometimes I feel like things went fast. It did go pretty fast. We've been recording for less than an hour. So it's probably going to be about an hour when we wrap things up. Okay. It's a nice length for an episode. Yeah, not too terrible. Not too short. Not too long. Um, So one of the things that Kate and I talked about, I believe, the last episode we recorded, because this would be the first time we're doing it, is that we need a little bit of transition between ending the episode (laughs) and then doing the closing moment. And since we've moved around when we're doing self-promotion to the beginning of the episode now instead of at the end, we decided that to take its place, we're each just going to name either like something that we're taking away from what we shared in the episode or if there was a favorite moment that we had or something of that nature, something that stood out to us because... We are constantly amazed and surprised at how much more there is to learn or realize about DBT all the time. So Mm -hmm. I'm going to start and then Kate's going to share before she does the closing moment. For me, I think the thing that stood out was realizing how different people approach those first dates when you were saying when you're like my mm-hmm. clients are like all in emotion mind and I'm like oh my my people that I tend to work with are much more in reason mind I hadn't conceptualized it that way of how depending on how you might approach those first dates you're going mm-hmm. to need to bring in a little more of the other because I do I catch myself all the time coaching people like be more in touch with your emotions be more in touch with your emotions it's not a job interview like actually have fun <laughs> don't just and you're talking about checklists I'm like people have checklists <laughs> yeah don't just be scanning for red flags from the get-go right like those are the types yeah. of things that I'm talking about a lot with people but when you shared what you tend to talk about with people and I was like oh that's so true that there are plenty of people who just dive in both Yep. Both feet. And I have a lot of people who don't even want to go in the water. Um, but viewing that through, like, looking at it with um, wise mind as a framework, that was really mm-hmm. interesting to me. And I hadn't ever thought about it that way before. No, I like that a lot. And it's funny because I think I sort of opened this door for the part that I'm 
maybe taking with me, but you really sort of latched on and, and summed it up nicely, I think, is like conceiving of choosing to use stop so much earlier in the process. Oh. Mm-hmm. Right? Of like, nah, it doesn't have to be once shit is shitty. <laughs> right? Like, it doesn't it doesn't have to be like stuff was in the toilet, so I walked away. Right? And be like, oh, like, I'm noticing things. Mm-hmm. Um which, by the way, like pairs really wonderfully with that mindfulness, which I think we probably said at the time, right? But like if you're being mindful of yourself, you're much more likely to catch um when you're at that you know, starting point of something, maybe starting to go a little sideways for you emotionally. And um, yeah, I don't know. I just, I don't always think about it. I do. I think I too fall into the trap. I don't know of, of thinking of it as only once things are already bad. Yeah. Stop is (laughs) for emergencies. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Stop is for emergencies. Uh, Either things have already just solidly in the bad or like, I don't know. My parents just asked that question. I don't know what that question is, but, you know, you're like, and I had to duck out because things were about to hit the, you know, shit was hitting the fan <laughs> or something, whatever. Um, and so, yeah, I don't know. That's that's probably the part that's sticking with me for, like, maybe the next time I teach the skill, right, is to remember that it doesn't have to be an oh shit handle, right? It doesn't have to be an e-break <laughs> <laughs> yeah. on on a situation. There are, there are other places that it can... Yeah, be inserted that it can be useful. So, yeah, I think that was it. Okay, that did feel a little bit better. We'll still fine tune it, but that's easier than just like, done with the skill, next. Now I Uh, wish we had been doing that all along for all the episodes. (laughs) Oh, well, I'm sure we'll have plenty of ones to do it this way. (laughs) We will, moving forward. (laughs) All right, so, yeah, closing moment. Get comfy. Whatever that means for you tonight. Yeah, sitting, standing, laying down. Whatever feels good and right in your body. And if you're safe and feel comfortable doing so, I invite you to go ahead and close your eyes. As per usual, we're going to start by just tuning into our breath. You don't have to breathe any more slowly or any more deeply than you are naturally. It's just about tuning in, focusing in, really paying attention to the rhythms and the sensations of our breath and letting them welcome us into our bodies and into the present moment. So for this closing moment, I'm going to go ahead and read five different relationship-oriented affirmations to you. I'm going to go through the list two or three times, nice and slowly. And I invite you to, aloud or just in your own head, go ahead and repeat each of these affirmations to yourself after I say each one. And do your best to Feel as though they are coming from yourself, right? Take them in, absorb them, and have them be your own as much as possible. I deserve to feel safe in my relationship. I deserve a partner who treats me with respect. 
I deserve a partner who honors my boundaries. I deserve a partner who listens to me. I deserve to be loved. I deserve to feel safe in my relationship. I deserve a partner who treats me with respect. I deserve a partner who honors my boundaries. I deserve a partner who listens to me. I deserve to be loved. One last time through. I deserve to feel safe in my relationship. I deserve a partner who treats me with respect. I deserve a partner who honors my boundaries. I deserve a partner who listens to me. I deserve to be loved. Try and just hold on to whatever feelings that may have brought up for you just at least long enough to notice. And also maybe keep these affirmations in your back pocket to be used as needed. But for now, Go ahead and take a couple slow, deep breaths. Do whatever feels good to you to come back into your body. Maybe some gentle stretches. And whenever you feel ready, you can go ahead and open your eyes. Thanks so much, everyone. Thanks, everybody. To learn more about us and the DBT skills we're teaching each week, join our Facebook group. Simply log in to your Facebook profile and search for DBT and Me podcast.